Well, good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning and pray for your spirit to be at work in our lives. And Father, open our hearts to your word, Lord, that we might respond with faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, welcome along if you're visiting with us today. Um, We've been exploring this theme, lost people matter to God. And the question has been, do they matter to us? And it's a theme and question that we've had underneath the banner of living beyond ourselves because the call of the gospel is to join with God in partnering with him as we live beyond ourselves on his mission to reach lost people. And over the last three weeks we've looked at uh, a number of stories that Jesus told from Luke 15 and 16. Uh, There was the lost sheep, there was the lost coin, there was the lost son. And last week we looked at the shrewd or dodgy steward. And it's worth saying these stories or parables as they're known form a chain. Now it's not a chain to bind us up, it's a chain to lead us somewhere. And the first thing that Jesus has wanted us to know is this, um, there's nothing more precious to God than lost people. And people matter to him and their eternal destinies matter to him. So much so that he was willing to send his son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be found. And every week we've been hearing some great stories about people, how they were lost, but now they're found. And I'm just going to put a couple of the key verses up. We saw at the very beginning of this section of scripture Uh, Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who do not need to repent. When lost people are found, God rejoices. He rejoices. And then he turned, and we saw this last week, and said to his disciples, if you understand how life works, uh, what you'll do is you'll take your assets, your wealth, your opportunities in this real world, and you will use them to influence people's eternal destiny. And he told the story about the dodgy or shrewd steward. And he, at the end of it, uh, said these words. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And what he was doing was giving them a litmus test. Now, who remembers their science from uh, chemistry days? Uh, I did science at uh, school. I also did some at university. And... Uh, One thing I do remember is the litmus test. It's a very simple test, but it's a very accurate test. And you would have litmus paper. Uh, You could have also a liquid solution with litmus. And you had two sorts. Um, And litmus comes from extracts from lichens. And you could have a blue piece of paper, and if it turned red when it went into the jar, do you remember what that meant? It's an acid. If you had red paper and you put it in the jar and it turned blue, do you remember what that meant? It was alkaline. Now let me say that's about the extent of what I remember as well, okay? But it's a very clear, very simple test. It tells you something about what is going on. And Jesus said to us last week, stewardship is actually a financial litmus test. You see, not only is stewardship an important thing, it's a litmus test of your faith. It tells you what is going on in a person's heart under God. And it's a very simple and accurate test. And he said, if you can't be faithful in this area, then you won't be faithful at all. 
Have a look at what he said. You, whoever can't be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And what Jesus was saying is, if you're unfaithful here with your finances, you'll be unfaithful in all kinds of things in your relationship with God. But if you get faithful here, it will result in all kinds of faithfulness in your relationship with God. And he went on to say, you must understand, uh, there's no neutral ground on this topic. Uh, Rather, there's a tug of war, there's a fight that goes on between having a deep relationship with God and an entanglement with the world. And the way you use and view your finances will dictate the outcome. You can't serve both. You're either going to serve one or the other. Either you'll love God and serve him and put this world in its right place or you'll find yourself entangled by this world and serving it and never be able to give God his rightful place. And so finances and stewardship are a litmus test of your spiritual maturity. Now you might be wondering at this point, don't you just talk on money once a year, Bruce? Well, I normally do. But Jesus didn't think that was enough. He said, you need to address this again. I'll explain why. You see, when Jesus said this to his disciples, what happened? Well, there were religious people who were listening and they sneered. Have a look at the screen. You can have a look at your Bibles. Open up, page 1036. And in chapter 16, verse 10, the religious people, the Pharisees, who loved money, heard all this and they were sneering at Jesus in what he was teaching about the litmus test of finances and stewardship. And you can just hear them saying, look, Jesus, you're an idiot. Now, they probably didn't say it to his face, but they would have said it to themselves. Who is going to take perfectly good stuff and waste it on lost people, on these sinners that you know we really shouldn't be hanging out with? Uh, don't you know, if God really wanted them to be different, he'd probably change them. You know, if God was really that concerned about the state of affairs, he'd fix it taking perfectly good money, perfectly good business opportunities and wasting it on lost, sinful people. Why would you do that? It's ridiculous. And they sneered. You see, they would have thought about themselves. Well, we pray, we go to the synagogue, we read our Bibles, we do all the kind of spiritual things that you know, we think good religious people should do and you can't just bring it down to one thing. That money and how you view that and using it to reach lost people, you can't tell me that is a litmus test of someone's faith. And Jesus said, okay, if that's what you think, let me tell you another story. And he tells the story we have in front of us today. And it's worth saying, if last week's story is one of the most difficult to understand, how Jesus can use a dodgy steward in teaching the disciples about the Christian faith, this, I think, is one of the most confronting parables as we look at a rich man and a poor man and the topic of eternity and hell. And so if you've got your Bibles, do open up. I want to retell the story and help us see what's going on. Because Jesus is saying, if you want to sneer about money, well then I need to address you again so that you understand at a very deep level the significance and the ramifications of what I'm talking about. So if you didn't like the last one, Let me give you another one. Let me tell you about two Jewish men who lived in Israel. And they're two very interesting men. There's a rich man. And you see, one of them was very wealthy. And he had lots of options. And he woke up every day probably with a Bible on his bedside. He probably wouldn't be found missing from synagogue on a Saturday. 
And he had lots of options. You know, not everyone is wealthy enough to have options in this world. And that's why the way we handle our finances is so important because it tells us where our heart really is. It's a spiritual litmus test. And you see, when this rich man woke up in the morning, he had all kinds of questions that he'd have to answer. Uh, would he wear his Levi's or his Armani today? Uh, what kind of breakfast would he have at home? Or would he go down the street and get poached eggs on sourdough with some rocket on the side? I mean, that were the questions. Would he have a cappuccino or a latte? Or would it be a piccolo? I don't know. There's so many options with coffee these days. Perhaps he couldn't figure it out. But you'd have to figure out which shoes he'd put on that day. And you see, which of the bathrooms in his lovely house that he would use? He had a nice wife, nice furniture, lovely carpet, nice dog. And when it came to lunchtime, as he went off to work, he'd have to ask himself the question, will I get the carved Peking duck that's on special today? Or maybe I'll try to be healthy and get the Thai beef salad. They're the questions that would confront him every day. Lots of questions. He's a man with options. And he's got a very, very nice life. Now, I'm not saying anything nasty about this man's life, and I don't want to run him down, except, well, actually, right outside this man's front gate was this sick, poor, dying man. And Jesus introduces us to the second person in the story. And this man has grown up in Israel too. But obviously God didn't like him very much because he was poor. He didn't have any options. You see, when he woke up, he had no decisions to make, no questions to run through his mind in terms of what shoes or what clothes or what breakfast or what lunch he engaged with today because, well, he only had one pair of shoes. And the clothes on his back were all he had. And if he got food, he was happy. No decisions. But he was sick. And the sores, oh man, did they smell. And every time the rich man walked past him at the gate and looked at him, it nearly made him sick. He thought, oh, this is awful. And you see, this poor man would lie at the rich man's gate. And he'd smell the smells that were coming from the kitchen. And he'd love to have anything that came from that rich man's table. I mean anything. And the reason he camped there, week by week, was because the garbage would get put out once a week. And it's garbage day tomorrow. And he's sitting there and the dogs are out there and he's just so unwell, he can't move and they're licking his sores and it's just awful, but he can smell the smells coming in from the kitchen. And he thinks it's going to be so good in the morning. Because I know they've cooked too much and they always put out the uh, excess in the garbage and just leave it. And so he went to bed that night, sleeping outside the gate, no blanket. And he went to sleep looking forward to the next day, thinking, I'm going to get some good food. But the next day never came. You see, as he lay there at the gate of the rich man's resident that night, his heart stopped beating. And he wasn't aware when it stopped beating, it was just that, there came this strange moment when he became aware that there was this light that was glowing around him and the next thing he was aware of, he's standing up and you see, he struggled to get up and he's actually feeling so much better. And the amazing thing to him was he wasn't feeling any pain anymore because you see, his body was just constantly racked with pain. And he couldn't remember when he last felt this good and beside him there were these awesome beings of light that are with him. And they take him by the hand and he didn't know how they got there but suddenly he found himself in another place. And it's a wonderful place and it's filled with life and it's filled with joy 
And then someone comes and says to him, he says, uh, Lazarus, come here, uh, come and meet Abraham. And he's thinking, you're kidding me, this is Abraham. The father of the nations. And Abraham says, Lazarus, welcome. Now the sad thing is this. The rich man was inside his house that night and he never knew what was happening. He'd been watching late night TV on his big flat screen and he had pay TV so he had lots of options and so he only had a few channels, 20. Uh, and after watching late night everything and the kids are in bed and the wife's gone to sleep, he goes downstairs and he makes himself a snack, a nice peanut butter sandwich on some of that sourdough that he loved. And he thought he'd cut an extra big piece that day and unfortunately though he choked on the thing and he fell over on his lovely plush woolen carpet and he died. One in the morning, choking to death in his house. And it was a strange thing, very strange, because as his life ebbed away, there was no sense of brilliant light. Uh, there was no angel music or strange lights to usher him anywhere. And he came to realise, actually, it just got darker and darker and darker. And suddenly he felt a pain he'd never experienced in his life. Suddenly he felt a sliding feeling. And when the sliding stopped, he was in this darkness that you couldn't imagine. And he felt a pain that he'd never felt ever before in his life. Now let me take you back to the Pharisees because you see the Pharisees are hearing this story. And they become very disturbed they're very uncomfortable in their seats the story is not going in the direction that they anticipated and when Jesus had told the story to the people who were surrounding him he was standing in a culture where people believed that you could tell how much God loved somebody by how well they were doing and so after all wealth is a blessing isn't it I mean isn't that what Deuteronomy 28 says God blesses us with wealth and of course he wants us to enjoy every cent of it. And the story should have been he was a guy that God was passionate about and he was rich and he loved him and he blessed him and the angels gathered around him and brought him into you know, a very important part of heaven. Isn't that what should have been said by Jesus? And when the poor man died, well, maybe if he got lucky he might have just crept into heaven but it wouldn't surprise you if he was in hell. I mean, let's be honest. He was probably paying for his sins. That's why he was so sick and poor. And he was just a miserable sinner. Surely he would have gone down to the place of judgment and destruction. The people of Jesus' day anticipated a totally different story. And as Jesus is telling this and the Pharisees are listening, suddenly some of them began to say, excuse me, what are you saying to us? Uh, what are you trying to tell us? Are you telling us that people go to heaven because they're poor? Are you saying that rich people go to hell? Uh, are you saying that salvation is by social strata, salvation is by poverty? Is that what you're saying? Well, we know from the story that Jesus can't be saying that. You see, when the poor man found himself in heaven... Who was he introduced to and lying on 
And whose arm is around him? Is it not Abraham? Now, Abraham, if you're not aware, was one of the richest men of his generation. He was very rich. There will be rich people in heaven. So how did he get there? What's the deal? I thought getting to heaven was about having a relationship with God. I thought that, you know, you were welcomed into eternity because you had this relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. Well, you're right, it is. And you see, Jesus gives us a clue uh, in the parable, if I can get my thing to work. Lazarus, you may not realise this, is the only person in a parable who is named. Jesus told lots of stories, but they were just about this man, this farmer, this steward, this manager, this woman. But one parable, he puts a name on the person and personalises the person he's talking about. And we might not pick this up, but Lazarus, the name we read, is a Hebrew name, Eliezer. And that name, which the Pharisees who were listening to him would well have known, meant, God is my help. The man who was at the gate, sick and in poverty, had a name, God is my help. And while the people may have ignored him, Lazarus, Eliezer, was actually known by God and he trusted in God. That's what Jesus is saying. Here is a poor man, and though he's poor, he trusted in God. God was his help. And Jesus wanted us to know salvation isn't by social strata. It's not about being poverty struck. He went to heaven because in his poverty, he knew the one person he must trust in, even though he's got nothing, was the living God. And this poor man had God as his helper. And so when he died, God welcomed this man who trusted in him and lived for him into his kingdom. It's a wonderful thing to know because, you see, he may have been poor, but he wasn't lost. And I guarantee you that some of you have been sitting in this building over the last couple of weeks, and as you started to think about the issues of stewardship and finances, you felt very uncomfortable. And the reason you felt uncomfortable is because life is not easy for you and you actually don't have much and you're poor. And you find it hard to put bread on the table. You don't have many options. Uh, life is a struggle just to get through day by day. You'd love to be able to choose between Peking duck and Thai salad, but the reality is it's peanut butter sandwiches every lunchtime. And I want you to know something. This parable was not written to you to lay a burden on your poor shoulders. It was not. You know that God is your helper and you profoundly trust him and live for him and you obey him. And I just want to say, keep on doing this. Now, this parable was written for those who are rich in this world to challenge them about their wealth. And you see, the interesting thing is the rich man went to hell. Why did he end up in hell? I only thought people that had no faith in God, no relationship with God, ended up in hell. That's right. That's why he ended up in hell. Uh, this rich man had no relationship with God. And it was not because he was rich. It was because he never heard the word of God and obeyed it and put into practice and trusted in God. You see, first of all, you need to realise this was a man who knew about God. There's no doubt about this. As Jesus is telling this story to the religious people, he is highlighting a story about them. And he would have said his prayers. 
as a ritual. He would have known and gone to the synagogue and heard the scriptures read. And This was a religious man. He knew about God. He wasn't opposed to the idea of God and so thought de facto I must be in relationship with this God. Now, but the Bible says Abraham, a rich man, was there. What was the difference? Well, the Bible says Abraham believed in God. He trusted in God's promise and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was not by his works. He was accepted because of his faith and trust in God, something that this rich man never had. Well, how do you know that, Bruce? Well, because of what Jesus put in the text. I wonder what this rich man must have been thinking when he was at church on a Saturday and someone read from Deuteronomy 15 verse 7. I wonder what he would have been thinking when he heard the words of Moses in Deuteronomy, if there's a poor man among among your brothers in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your poor brother, rather be open-handed and give them whatever he needs. There will always be poor in the land and therefore I command you to be open-handed towards your brothers in the land to the poor and needy. I wonder what he must have thought when he heard that at the synagogue on a Saturday. I wonder what he have thought when he heard the words from Moses and the book of Proverbs was read. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them will receive many curses. I wonder what he thought when he heard the words of Zechariah the prophet, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the aliens or the poor. In your hearts do not think evil of one another. I wonder what he must have thought when he heard those things. And other texts. Maybe he came home and said to himself as he passed the poor man yet again at his gate. I must do something about that someday, must. I wonder if he thought when he passed the poor man, you know, actually I'm not that wealthy compared to others here in town. Not compared to, say, James Packer. I mean, he's wealthy, not, not me. But when I am, when I really get my ducks in a row, uh, I'll do something for that guy. Um, when I finally get the bank balance at the level that I needed to be at, I'll, I'll help then. He probably had lots of good intentions. I have. Have you? Have you ever sat and heard the Bible read and preached and you've thought to yourself, I must do something about that? But you never have. You never got round to it. You felt something at the time, but life passes by. Look, I have. It's very easy to do. He probably even knew that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I wonder what he thought when he heard those verses. Maybe he thought something like this. Charity begins at home. Yeah, charity begins at home. When I finally got everything fixed in the life of everyone close to me, um, then I'll care for that guy at the gate. But later... Or maybe he said something like this. Um, actually, you know what? I can't help everybody. I mean, you can't. But then I wonder if he heard a little voice of the Spirit say, well, then help somebody. Yes, you can't help everybody, so help somebody. Uh, I wonder if he thought to himself, well, my little bit's not going to change this world, is it? And then I wonder if he heard the voice of the Spirit say, well, then change somebody's world. I wonder if he ever said to himself, if I care for lost people and for the poor people... Where's it going to end? Well, where does it end? Well, he could have heard the words of Jesus in heaven. 
That's when it ends. You see, I'll tell you why the rich man went to hell. He had no relationship with God. He didn't understand that when a wealthy person comes to know God, he becomes the servant of everybody. That's what happens. And the more wealthy he is, the more God expects his life to count. The more God expects his life to be used in service of the kingdom. Jesus said very clearly, to whom much is given, much will be required. The greater the gifts, the greater the responsibility. He kept thinking in terms of this world, this world has an attitude, serve me. But you see, there's another God, the real God, and he says, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. You see, that's what the world will tell you when you're rich. Go and get what you can. Go and acquire some more stuff because what you have is not enough. You need to upsize. You need the more modern. You need more experiences. You need more holidays. You, you, you just need more. And you see, the message of the Bible is the complete opposite. Actually, you don't need more. What you need to do is serve. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. I came to give my life, all I have is a ransom for lost, sinful people. You see, his giving, his stewardship was a litmus test that clearly indicated his heart did not love God, it did not trust God, it did not obey God. And listen to these words that come out of his mouth when he's in hell. Have a look at verse 24, page 1037. He's in hell and he looks up and he sees Lazarus and he cries out, Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. And you think, please don't say that, rich man. Don't say it. That's what got you here in the first place. Have you not worked it out? Lazarus is not there to serve you. You should have been serving him. It's tragic. Even in hell, his heart is not changed. Friends, our life is probationary here. Hear me, friends. No matter who you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter young or old you are, for all of us, our life is a probation for eternity. And when you leave this life, this parable is very clear, there is no further opportunity to do business with God. Abraham says to the rich man, a chasm has been fixed between you and Lazarus. It cannot be overcome. Your decisions in the past life have affected you for the present life in hell. You had your chance. You had your chance to trust God and serve him. And you didn't. And that's the reality. Life is probationary. It is in this life that we must make decisions about whether we will trust God and serve God. Whether you will love him. Whether you will yield your heart to him and say, here I am, I am yours. And it's a tragedy. Because you listen to this unchanged heart, send Lazarus. And the story finishes with the same words, well, if he can't serve me here in this world, please send Lazarus to my brothers and get him to serve them. 
Now let's remember why Jesus told this parable. Because when he turned to his disciples and said, if you understand how much God loves lost people, you'll use the opportunities in your life to make a difference for eternity. And the Pharisees thought that was funny. The Pharisees thought that was outrageous. And they sneered. And that's why Jesus told this story. That we might understand that stewardship is not optional. Stewardship is not just a little extra on the side that very committed people do. Stewardship is something everybody who has a relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ gets involved with. And that's why stewardship is a litmus test of our heart. Whether we trust God, whether we follow God and live for him. And the rich man's crying out to Abraham, I've got five brothers, send someone back from the dead to warn them. And note Jesus' response. He says, look, if they did not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And you know, that's exactly what happened in history. There was a real man named Lazarus. He came back from the dead and he warned his brothers. And you know what they did? They said, let's kill this Jesus who brought him back from the dead. Have a look in John 11. And it's see, miracles won't change a person's heart. Do you know how a person's heart changes? It's when they hear the word of God and they respond in faith and obedience. And that's what Jesus is saying you didn't do and what your brothers need to do. And the sad thing is they have the word of God and they're not listening. Stewardship is not only a litmus test of our spiritual maturity, it's actually an opportunity for transforming power. And friends, as you hear the word of God these weeks, that God is calling us to live beyond ourselves and partner with him with all that we have, it is an opportunity for transformation personally and spiritually at a very profound level in your life. As you seek to get money under God's control and live with his agenda. You see, biblical giving, generous giving, when you hear the word of God and obey what it says, will actually bring you joy. When you free yourself, if I can use these words, from the bondage or the demon of acquisition, and there is no doubt that that is, if I can say, an idol of our age that we are so affected by. The demon of acquisition, if I can use that language, that we think we need more. We don't, we need to give more. Jesus said it is far more blessed to give than to receive. And so let me say, free yourself from the demon and from the spirit of this age, the bond of acquisition, and give. And you'll be transformed. There is a great joy that you will learn as you realise, I've been so blessed by God, how God can use this for your kingdom? How can I be partnering with you and furthering your work? How can I be helping people? How can I be bringing relief and care and support and all those wonderful things? God, you've given me all this. How do I be a good steward of it? Friends, there is a joy that you learn when you learn generosity under the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why I put a card in every person's hand to sign so that you don't just have good intentions but you actually have concrete actions. And the thing about me that I've found is when I put my name on this card and say I'm going to give this amount and I sign it, 
it's a very practical, helpful way of saying, actually, I'm accountable, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give direct debit. Uh, I always want to give to the projects because I want to be using my stuff for kingdom purposes. I want to give away every year a couple of thousand dollars on these things. I believe in them. And I encourage you to do the same. Be generous. You don't need whatever the next thing probably is. Your clothes are probably quite okay. It's okay to have fashion that's just two years old and not the latest. Friends, look around you and realise God has placed you where you are and you can help and be God's vehicle to people and God's messenger and God's care and God's love. Look, there's a little girl that's going to be outside raising money for mission with her school. Go and buy some cakes there. Help Annika get off to mission and help people up in North Queensland. There are people here that you know they need financial help. Help them. There are supports. There's missionary organisations. Help them. And as I said last week, I give first here because I want to make sure my family here is supported and that the work goes on here that goes on. But friends, you will be transformed when in faith you hear the word of God and you respond in obedience. Because finances are a litmus test. Let me close by speaking to those who may be feeling very uncomfortable with this parable. You know, as you sit here this morning, that the litmus test of finances indicates that your heart is hard to God, that you don't trust him, that you might know about God, but you've never entered into a living relationship with God through giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him personally. Friends, you need to understand that um, people are not only poor because they have no goods. The ones who are poorest most of all have no saviour. They have not the Lord Jesus Christ. And you may be here this morning and you don't have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, but you've got a boat in the garage, you've got a nice home, you've got a big TV, you've got a nice car and you've got a nice bank account. And I want to tell you that even though you've got all those things, they will be gone on the last day. If you don't have the Lord Jesus Christ, you actually have nothing when it comes to eternity. And if you don't trust and follow him, there will be no angels and no lights to accompany you when you die. But you'll slip into a place of great distance from God where a chasm has been fixed, from which you cannot recover, and that place is called hell. It is final, it is fearsome, and it's forever. And if you have not Christ, you have nothing. And that's why I'm glad you're here today being confronted by the sound of the word of God because there is nothing more awesome in this world than to think that there is a moment when we pass from this life into eternity and beyond that moment no changes take place. But in this world and this place and this day, you can become rich by receiving all that Christ has to offer us the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, the joy of knowing God, the fullness of his spirit in our life. These are the riches that will never be taken away from you. And friends, if you do not have the Lord Jesus Christ, don't be another person who paves the road to hell with good intentions. Embrace the call of the Lord Jesus and give your life to him and live for him. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you've,
given your life to Christ, but there's one part of your life that you've never let him have, your bank account. You need to give it to him today and let him take charge of that area. And so I want us to pray. And so let's close our eyes and just spend some time reflecting on what God's word has said to us. And I want to pray for us in the quietness of our hearts. And if you need prayer this morning, if you came today and you've never yielded your heart to Christ, come to him now. I want to pray first of all for those who are physically poor amongst us. Lord, we have people here who have very little. And Lord, they know that God is their helper, like Lazarus. Father, continue to be their help and provide for their needs and I pray that we as their brothers and sisters in Christ would help them as we can. And so reveal their needs to us, we pray, so that we can be of practical assistance. But I pray today for those who realise that their finances are a mess and if that's you, you might just want to just pray now. Rather than serving you with them and being good stewards, they've served themselves. And Lord, today has been a wake-up call. I pray, change their hearts, Lord, change their lives. Help them to obey you in this area. But lastly, for those who are here who have no relationship with Christ, I invite you to come to him this day and pray these simple words. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry I've turned my back on you. Here I am. Take everything. Take my life. I trust you with it. May I serve you with all that I have from this day forward. Amen.